You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. exalted over all. There is no one stronger. There is no name higher. He defeated sin and the grave. And here we are today. That was so good. Praise the Lord. So as we sing and shout our praises to God, as we lift high his name, I have a simple question for you to start out this morning. What do you think Jesus Christ is doing right now? Here it is, Easter Sunday, right? People are shouting praise. We're singing. We're crying out to him. We're worshiping him all over the globe as we do every Sunday, but especially on a day like today. But even just zooming out from that, what about Monday morning? (laughs) What do you think Jesus Christ is doing? Tuesday afternoon. Wednesday at work when, when you're in that slump. What is Jesus doing in your life right now? There's a lot of people who I believe have a rather shallow, skewed view of what Jesus Christ is doing for us right now. We can easily fall into this mindset, and I I used to be there myself, where you think, okay, I'm saved, Jesus, Jesus died for me, I'm a Christian now, great. Now, Jesus must just be basking in glory. He's up there on his throne. You know, he's, he's enjoying heaven and, and chatting with all the saints. And it almost sounds like a glorified retirement, does it not? Anybody ever been there, thought that? Like I said, I have. I don't really think a lot about retirement, to tell you the truth. I, I do think about it every once in a while. I try to save a little bit for retirement. I just know I don't want to be a pastor who holds on too long. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Uh, So I'll have to do something else one day. But when I think about retirement, and I I did a little research on this today just because because of the topic, I actually found out, I was reading, there's a thing called active retirement. And of course, this is something that, you know, capitalist America, we're going to find a way to make money, right? So I'm sure it costs a lot of money to do this. But this version of retirement means you don't just stay busy doing what you want to do. They're saying, even if you get really busy, bless you, even if you get really, really busy, you're still not going to feel fulfilled if you're not doing something that is bringing meaning and value to your life and to other people's lives. And even if you're just fulfilling yourself, even if you're just enjoying life yourself, going on long walks on the beach, buying ice cream for your grandkids, you know, whatever you want to do in retirement, if you're not staying actively engaged, you're not going to be happy. And that holds true. That checks out with what God has revealed in Scripture. So this morning, I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ, the man who has never retired. Our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. What is he doing right now? I'll tell you this. He's not sleeping in, and he's not just golfing on the golf course. 
up there in heaven. That's not what he's doing. It's so much better than that. So please take your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. We are going to look at one verse today. That's all we got. Laser focus, where we're going to marvel and delight, maybe even memorize this one verse. Because Jesus is alive, and he's not done moving and actively working in your life. So if you're there in Hebrews chapter 7, please look at verse 25, and I'm going to read it. Read it along with me. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The outline today is very simple. We're just going to walk through this verse together. And we're going to see that not only is Jesus doing something in your life right now, but this is also the truth that you need to know to apply to your life, to live your best life, the life that he created you to live in the present. So number one, consequently, he is able to save. Now, the word consequently here, if you ever see something like that in scripture or any, any material that you're reading for that matter, you should know, okay, I need to look at the context. What has just been said? What, what sets this up? What is the truth that's already been established? And if you read the book of Hebrews, we find out over and over again that Jesus Christ is the true and better everything else. Just fill in the blank. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Melchizedek. Jesus is better right now in this context, specifically in this chapter, Jesus is better than the Old Testament priests and very much, very much greater than them, I should say. Back in the Old Testament period of time, before Jesus Christ came into this world and conquered sin and death and ushered in the new covenant of grace, which we now live, before all of that, you had a lot of priests. And every single one of those priests was a sinner, and they all died. Look at, look at verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Jesus has secured a permanent priesthood. And unlike every human priest who came before him, his ministry will never end. He is alive today. He never ends. So consequently, here's the result. Those who draw near to him should expect that he is able to save. Do you say that with me? He is able to save. I want you to remember that this morning. That word able, if you go back to the original language, it's the word dynumo, dynunome, sorry. It's a tongue twister. It kind of sounds like dynamite because it just means you have the power, the capacity to blow it up. He is very, very fully 100% capable. That's what Jesus is. He is capable to save, to do something that the Old Testament saints, the Old Testament priests could never do in themselves. Back in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, 
The, the priests acted as intercessors between God and people. But they themselves needed intercession because they too were fallen. And ultimate forgiveness requires a man who was sinless. And only Jesus Christ is able to be our great high priest because only Jesus is sinlessly perfect. He is able to save. He alone is able to bring salvation to lost and dying sinners. Only he can finish the job that the Old Testament priests pointed to. They painted a picture of this, but they could never carry it out. It was a shadow of the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So you are not able to save yourself. He is able. Before you go anywhere else with your faith in Jesus Christ or this Christian faith that you hear about, you have to understand this point. You are not able to save yourself. He is able. I was reading uh, a guy named Watchman Nee. Some of you may have heard of him. He's, an, he's, he's passed on, an old, an old brother in Christ. A uh, lot of very, very solid writing, though, interesting stuff. And he was talking about an experience he had where he was actually at the lake swimming with some friends. And maybe you've been in a similar situation like this. I've, I've seen something slightly similar to this. But his friend is out there. They're swimming for a long time, and he starts getting fatigued. Maybe he ate some food. I don't know what happened, but he starts struggling. And then, you know, when you're in the water and you're, str and you're struggling and you start panicking, you start, like, losing your, losing your ability to stay above water. And this guy was literally about ready to drown to death, okay? And, and, and Watchman Nee, like, looks at his friend, who's like a lifeguard. He's like, are you going to do something? Like, we got to save him, right? And his friend calmly stood there. He said, no, just wait. Just wait. Finally, after the guy was about ready to lose it completely, dove in, rescued him, pulled him out of the water. And afterwards, they had a conversation. Why did you wait so long? Why did you make him suffer? Why did it take you so long to go in after him? What were you doing? And he said, this is something, if you're a lifeguard, you've probably heard this before. But he had to wait until his friend had stopped struggling and fighting and grasping because he knew in that moment, if he would go in then, as he was in panic, full panic mode, he would have pulled him under the water too. He had to give up and to realize, I need saved for the lifeguard person to come in and rescue him. We have to realize we can't save ourselves. Only he can. When we hit the rock bottom and we give up doing everything that we can do, that's when he is able to save us. Consequently, he is able to save us, point two, to the uttermost. This is not a partial piece. We're not talking halfway there. I'm a sinner to the uttermost. You're a sinner to the uttermost. He is a savior to the uttermost. If it was all up to us, if we had anything to do with our salvation, we would screw it up. Let's be honest with you. We really would. Thank God it's completely in his hands. We didn't, we didn't have to pray the right words. We didn't have to do the right things. Of course not. There is nothing we could do or say or think to save ourselves. So you don't have to doubt 
Did I, did I say the right prayer? Did I, am, am I really doing the right thing here? No, God loves you, and when you come to him, he does the rest. He saves you. And I know it's hard for us to contemplate Jesus saves us all the way because we're so hardwired in 21st century America to do our part, to do your share. But he does it all. I know in our human finite experience, when we hear something like all the way, it still doesn't quite mean all the way, usually. I don't know if you've ever been to Five Guys Burgers and Fries. I was there with a couple of, uh, of the worship team this week, and I got my burger at Five Guys all the way, which means you get the grilled onions and the grilled <laughs> mushrooms and everything. I just do it all the way. But it doesn't have a one steak sauce on the all the way order which they do have. So is it really all the way if they're not putting the A1 steak sauce on it? So I have to say all the way and add the A1 steak sauce, please, to my burger. And that's just, that's just the way life is for us, right? We say all the way, and it doesn't really always mean all the way. I want you to erase that out of your mind, okay? Because Jesus saves you all the way, all the way. 100%. There is nothing you can do. He saves you to the uttermost. Thank you for that amen. He does the rest. He delivers full and forever salvation. So this is where I want to bring this home to you for a minute and just think about this. Because a lot of people have this wonky idea that, that like he saved me, he died on the cross. But then without saying this, you would never say this out loud, but practically speaking, you cut his work short by adding all the things that you have to do now to be a good Christian. I got to do this, and I got I to gotta say this, and I got to go there, and I, oh, I got to pray this much, and I got to read my Bible, and oh, I got to do all these things. And before you know it, you're not resting in his full and final salvation how he has saved you, but you were adding a human element to it. And then when you don't achieve what you want to achieve and you mess up yourself, you feel horrible about yourself. Even on Friday night, we, we, we focused on Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And some of us, as we were thinking about what we did to contribute to that, it, 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 was, it was rough. There were emotions, right? You have to take your failures and you have to just give it to Jesus. Look and live. Hand it over to him because he has saved you to the uttermost. You don't even have to do your part, okay? You can mess up your part and you're still saved by God's grace. He's going to give you chance after chance after chance. He's going to change you. Jesus does it all. He saves you to the uttermost. And this is the truth that we all need consistently reminded of. Doesn't matter how long you've been saved, you have to remind yourself of that. Get in his word and see that he saves you to the uttermost. How many of you have been saved for more than five Easter's? This is like more than five Easter's, all right? How many of you more than 10 Easter's have you been saved? 20, yeah, 30, okay, a couple of us, just a few, <laughs> I see a handful, 
Yeah. So right. <laughs> hey, my hand is raised. I've been, I've, I've, I've been saved for more than 30 years. Here's the thing. It gets easier, and at the same time, it gets harder. The, the longer you walk with God, the more, the more you know him, the more you feel his presence in your life. Just being saved longer, just having extra Easter's doesn't just turn you into a, a super Christian. It doesn't really exist anyway. The long, as a matter of fact, the longer you're in church, the longer you're a child of God in this present life, believe it or not, sometimes the harder it gets to rest and rely on Christ alone rather than yourself. That's not across the board. I mean, there's some Christians who, they've really grown. They, they, they're completely changed, and, and they, don't, they don't worry about it at all. But I'm just, what I'm trying to tell you is you don't need to worry about anything. Just give it over to God. We can get lulled into sleep and start living outside of the grace of God. So you have to snap out of that. Your salvation is by grace through faith alone. Your entire life is in and of Christ. It's through him. He saved you. So if you're not making good decisions, don't forget that you're physically and spiritually unable to lose your salvation if God is holding you in the palm of his hand, if you're a child of him. He is saving you to the uttermost. And I have seen a lot of people over the years forget this one way or the other. They get confused. An issue comes up into their life, or maybe they have this philosophical question that they cannot get an answer for. It doesn't make sense. Please don't let something like that trip you up from Jesus is the one who saves you all the way. You don't have to understand it all. We can't understand it all. And if you think you understand it all, you actually have a problem because you don't. You don't. Believe me, you don't. None of us do. We have to delve into this place where we say it's all on you, Jesus. When the storms come and you try to carry yourself out of it, it gets increasingly tiring and exhausting. Just say, Jesus, I need you and you alone. He is never for one moment tired, of, tired from carrying you. That's our Savior. So don't let your sin dominate you. Don't get stuck in your shame. Look to Jesus and live. Salvation of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus Christ, reaches the deepest and darkest holes in your life. And that's why we're here celebrating today. The ongoing reality is something that, another thing that we can get tripped up on is, is this ongoing reality that, yes, Jesus saved me, but I'm still sinning. I still feel stuck. Well, we've very much established Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin, right? Yes, he has. He severed the power of sin. But you also have the presence of sin that isn't completely eliminated. So there are times and seasons in your life where you can still walk in sin. And you have this, this spiritual battle between the lust and the, and the spirit. 
What you, what you crave isn't always what God has for you. Because even if, even if you're a child of God, you still have that sin nature. So and this is another area where people can get, can get stuck. And they can, get, they can stumble around and be like, well, wow. How does this even work? So this is where the invitation comes in to trust Jesus. Even if you're a Christian. And especially if you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Because there is an invitation in this passage. Who are the ones that are saved? What does this verse say? What does verse 25 say? Who are the ones who were saved? What? Point three, those who draw near to God through him. Have you ever drawn near to God through him? And the hymn there is obviously Jesus Christ. There's no other way to the Father but through him, Jesus Christ. This is the plan of God, to save all of those who draw near to God through Jesus. So if that's going to happen, we have to understand what this is. It begins with faith. To draw near to God is faith. In a couple more chapters... In Hebrews 11, verse 6, we, we see that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So the other part of this context is approaching the presence of God. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to his presence. Later on in this book, again, we see in Hebrews 8, verse 10, speaking of this new covenant where we are in a spiritual relationship with the presence of God. Hebrews 8, 10 says, I will put my laws into their minds, write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, for the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. That is the relationship that God establishes through Jesus Christ, where we know him and we can feel his presence. That's what we all need more than anything else. More than you need food, you need the presence of God. Alive and active in your life. So Jesus is the better sacrifice. Jesus himself died once for all. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. Salvation is offered to you. It is a gift that you must receive by grace through faith. You have to understand that I can't save myself. I am a sinner. You know, that wasn't the way God created the world to be. God created it and it was good. The fall happened. Things are messed up now. I'm at the bottom. I can't save myself, but God sent Jesus. The cross was the payment for the penalty of my sin, and now I can have new life in him. And now he is saving you. And scripture literally uses that tense. He is currently saving you. Even, even the ones who have confessed their sin and by faith look to Christ you are still being saved, biblically. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Point four, 
since he ever lives to make intercession for them. Here's what Jesus is still doing right now. He is living, making intercession for you. He knows what you're doing. He's listening to you. He sees you. He's talking to you. And he's talking to God the Father about you. He's making intercession for you. He rose again on Sunday morning over 2,000 years ago, and we're still talking about it. We're still celebrating it, rejoicing in it, and that would never be the case if he wasn't crucified and buried and returned back to life. But he didn't just retire in heaven. He is alive right now. What he is doing right now is right here in this verse. He is making intercession for you. So the victory is sealed. Now in this present life, as I've discussed, this is where it gets tricky. I still feel the curse of sin. I still, I still mess up. I'm still making mistakes. I still don't always feel this, David. Where was this yesterday when I was having a really bad day, when nothing was going right? We are still being saved. He's actively working in you and through you, even through the negative things, even through the results of the fall. He's, he's above all that. And he can twist that and he can shape that to do something to bring you closer to him. But the victory is sealed. It's set, it's set in motion. No one can ever pluck you out of the Father's hands. What God has put together, no man can put asunder. Jesus is active, and we must run to him and talk to him and seek his presence. The scripture reveals three components of our ongoing salvation. So you have the past component of our salvation, which is the moment you confess your sins and you believe in faith, repentance in faith, justification happens. God saves you from the punishment of sin because Jesus took that punishment. In this present life, if you're a Christian, you're in now the sanctification process where you are being saved from the power of sin. Sin doesn't dominate your life like it once did. You're starting to get victory over that. Your, your appetite is starting to change. The final component of our salvation that none of us have, have, have actually felt or arrived at yet is when you see Christ face to face at glorification. And he saves us from the presence of sin. There will be no more crying, no more sickness, no more death. All of those things of the curse of the fall are going to be eradicated completely and we are going to be with our Savior and with our God, with our Creator. <coughs> I'm not saying his atoning work isn't complete. Of course not, because it is finished. It is complete. But I'm also telling you that he's still working in you. He's still actively involved. He's still saving you from yourself. He's still forgiving you. He's still empowering you. He is still alive in you. Romans 8 talks about this intercessory work. And I want you to turn there. With me, Romans chapter 8, 
This is a great passage that talks about how he comes alive and how he changes us and how we look at life differently. Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the, mind of the, for the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he ever lives to make intercession for you. He's doing that through his spirit who is alive in you. So when you stumble and fall into sin, when you are wrecked with your own selfish, short-sighted decisions, when you choose your pleasure over, over God's will for your life and you hurt because of that, because whenever we ignore his plan, we hurt ourselves. This is what Romans 8 says. You're in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation. Jesus was already condemned. He already took the punishment. God the Father accepted the sacrifice. That was the Friday that Jesus died. And here's where a lot of Christians can be. They can find themselves in this place where they're not fully embracing and reveling in the joy of their salvation, the ongoing salvation that they have in Christ. And they live as if it's the Saturday before the resurrection. Think about the disciples on that Saturday, right? Jesus, is, Jesus was dead. Their hope was gone. Living hope had not arose yet. And their, their dreams were shattered. It's, it's sad but true that sometimes even Christians, we can actually live our life without the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We do that when we think it's all on us. I have to be faithful. I have to do this. I have to do that. And you're living as if you have to save yourself. Jesus rose on Sunday. He is alive. So don't live a defeated life. 
Don't live like it's Saturday before the resurrection with no urgency, no victory, just shame and fear. You can't, you can't stay that way as a child of God because he is changing your heart. And notice every time you get stuck mentally in your own, that, that, that dark place, where's the emphasis? If you're that Saturday dreary Christian, where is the emphasis? It's on what I did or didn't do, right? I messed up. I screwed up. I did this. I can't believe I'm such a failure. And you're, and you're meditating on your own shame instead of Jesus Christ and what he did on Sunday. So it's either one of these three things. Either you don't believe that he is able, either you don't believe that he is able to save to the uttermost, or you don't think about the truth that he ever lives to make intercession for you. Worship team, you can come up. Now I want you to just think about this truth. No one can condemn you if you are in Christ. If you have handed your life over to Jesus and said, I am sorry for my sin. I sinned against you, God. I believe what Jesus did on the cross was the payment for my sin. You put your faith in him, you have no more condemnation. Even if it feels like it sometimes when you screw up, tell God, I'm sorry. He separates it as far as the east is from the west. And you go on with your day and you make the next best decision. Your Savior ever lives to make intercession for you. So the call is twofold today. Number one, either you need to put your faith in Jesus. And if you have not done that yet, that is the invitation for you. Trust him. Put your faith in him. And he will forgive you. And secondly, if you do know Christ and you're stuck in your own shame, you got to get out of that right now. Look to the author of your salvation. The book of Revelation says that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first letter and he's the last letter. The, 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 the book of your life doesn't really begin without Jesus making you who he created you to be. Hebrews also says he is the author of your salvation. He's the one who makes it happen. You're not able, he is able. And because of him, you are able to live your life the way God intended you to live. You can have happiness, joy, peace, because he is able to accomplish that in you. He deserves all the glory. We're about to sing a song from Revelation 5. This is a song that is all about how he is worthy to receive praise and honor and glory. And if you go back and read Revelation 5 at some point today, you're going to see this amazing glimpse into heaven where everyone is just crying out with worship and praise and adoration at the lamb who was slain 
who is able to open the seal. He is worthy because he suffered and died. He was sinless and he took our place and he absorbed our punishment. He is the Lamb of God. He is the great high priest. He is the author. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is our Savior. Would you stand up with me? And let's sing worthy of it all to our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's say this verse together, and then I can't wait to fellowship with all of you together. Hebrews 7.25, say it with me. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he ever lives to make intercession for them. You are loved.